All right. Let's uh, let's start off with a word of prayer, and we'll and then we'll jump into it. Let's pray. Father, it's uh, just a wonderful day to be together worshiping you. We're so grateful for the ways that you love us, that you give us uh, just the beauty of your creation, uh, the beauty of your word, just the power of a relationship with God. Just pray you'll be with us today. Pray we can have an encouraging time uh, as we worship you, as we take communion. Father, I really pray you would just open us up to your word, let it really impact, change us, just draw us closer to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, I need your help. I need some energy from you. All right. Okay. So, uh, you know, you can say whatever you want. Say amen. Say something. But, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been interesting as we've studied Romans. Romans is one of those books that as you dig into it, you go, oh, my goodness. You know, there's so much here. Um, I spent the last couple of weeks digging into Romans 3, and all I can say is, oh my goodness, it's going to be really hard for me to keep it under about a week <laughs> in presenting on it, and I promise I will keep it under that. But you know, as we sort of think about what we've gone through, you know, we, we looked at Romans 1, and we, we talked about how the Gentile world, the pagan world, has sinned and is separated from God. And we talked that, you know, Pat did a great job, um, when was it? A week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, I lose track. <laughs> you know that the Jews have fallen short of the glory of God, right? And they're they're not making it. And then it was a little confusing, uh, you know. At least it was for me. I don't know if it was for you, but at the end of Romans two, then he digs in and he says, you know, that uh, if you if you break the law, you become as if you were uncircumcised. And if someone obeys God through faith without being circumcised, they'll be okay. And you're like, huh, that's interesting. And uh, not unlike in Galatians, they had a similar question comes up in Romans chapter 3. They, it starts up and says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew, or what value is there in circumcision? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why bother? What's going on? That was the question in their minds. <clears throat> you know, it's, and you think about it, circumcision is just a shorthand for the Jewish lifestyle. <clears throat> you know, it's... it's uh, it was, you know, temple worship, it was circumcision, it was the food laws. It was just sort of the outward signs of being a Jewish person. Uh, and it was really brought on by over 1,300 years of their history at this point. It had been going, 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 and yet it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't enough. Wow. Let's read here in, in verse 1. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. <clears throat> so I think this word here, when you know translated, means have received the oracle of God. You know, the oracle, so an oracle, not a software company, oracle, the revelation, the, uh, the word that came from God himself, uh, was their responsibility to transmit. It was their responsibility to bring it forward. Uh, it was their responsibility to bring forth this central truth that was going to lead us to Jesus. That was really entrusted to the Jewish nation over the over the you know the long period of history. You know, it was Psalm Psalm 138 verse 2 says that God has exalted his word and his name above all things. That the word of God, the discourse of God, the name of God uh, is the most important thing. And in fact, you know, if you think about it, for us as people of God, knowing his word uh, is really so important. You know, as you think about it, as you read uh, books like Romans, and you see in Romans 3, there's 
dozens of Old Testament quotes, <coughs> dozens in here. Um, I'd encourage you to go back and, and read them in context, see what they say. You know, we talk a lot about how this church at this time in Rome was mostly Gentile believers, but you got to believe that for 20 plus years they've been going to service and worship, and all they heard was preaching from the Old Testament. So they were much more equipped, I would say, in the Old Testament as Gentile believers than we are as Christians today. And so we, we can go, well, they didn't know what, what was going on. Yeah, they did probably more than I do. And it's convicting. It's like, okay, you know, I want to go back and really understand that. But there was even more than that. We'll see it later in Romans 9, in verse 4 and 5. It says, to the Jews, there was much more than just this carrying oracle. There was the adoption to sonship. There was the divine glory Paul talks about. They, got, they had the covenants. They had the receiving of the law. They got to actually worship in the real temple or in the tabernacle. You know, with God there. They got the promises of God. They had the patriarchs. They had the very human ancestry of the Messiah, who, who is God forever praised. Paul talks about all of that. Uh, in Romans 9. So there really was some value in being a, uh, a, uh, a Jew. You know, he talks a little bit more of it in Romans 15.4, if you take that as a note to look at. But you think about it, when people become Christians today, it's different if you, if you had been raised in a religious background. You know, you were raised going to church, you were raised praying at home, you were raised thinking about how do we love other people, how do we serve the poor, uh, that's very different than if your background was very pagan, very, you know, humanistic, very self-serving, and you become a Christian. I mean, you both become Christians, but you have a different sort of underpinning, you know, underlayment. It, it really, in some ways, it springboards you to do better. That's why we, that's why we have things like Kids' Kingdom, right? <clears throat> because we want our children to sort of have that springboard, <clears throat> that preparation, that training at an early age. It's why we send our kids to school, right? We want them to learn English, you know, at school, not when they're 21, um, and so on, right? And so, you know, really just give them a, you know, a leg up in a sense, right, um, to uh, to prepare them to uh, understand to become disciples of Jesus. You know, and even at this time, as we start to jump into this, thinking about what was it like if you were a Jew to hear that, well, Jews and Jews and non-Jews, Gentile believers, they're all the same. How's that, how's that feel? You're a Jew. What do you mean? That ain't right. That's not right. That can't be hell. You know, it was, it was scandalous. We talked a little bit ago. Yeah, I think it was, you know, it's all blends together back here. But Steve Smith and Mark talked about how it was Steve in, with Cornelius, right? And Cornelius in Acts 10, you know, they, they came, uh, they were told by God, to uh, send for uh, to send right <clears throat> to go have um, Peter come right and Peter was told what just go and they get there and they have no idea why they're here and in fact he didn't really even want to go into the house because that was wrong under the Jewish law it was scandalous so this is even a step further as we're going to dig into this let's read on here in um, in um, starting in verse three it says what if some were unfaithful Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it's written, so that you may be proved right by what you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clear, clearly, 
what should we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we've been scandalously reported as saying, saying, as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. Interesting, you know. One of the things here, if you're taking notes, Psalm 116, uh, verse 11, everyone's a liar. Um, Psalm 51.4, you probably know this one. It starts off, against you only have I sinned, but then it ends out with, your verdict is right and you prevail when you judge. So he's really taking us back there to that thinking, starting to get us there about our sin is really only against God, only making us fall short of God. You know, and um, so I, and I won't jump into this a lot. This, to me, this is an interesting passage. You know, what if my if I'm unrighteous, does that make God look good when He forgives me? Right. Look at it again later in Romans five. Have you ever thought that way? Well, oh, God will forgive me. I'll just go do this. Mm-hmm. No, everybody's righteous today, right? Amen. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it can be a temptation some, and I think this was even more so about thinking, well, how did it happen? that there could be so many unrighteous people in the Old Testament. Have you ever thought that? We're the good people here. This is all about bad people, you know, about unrighteous people, about sin and challenges and struggle and people not wanting to follow God. How can that be? You know, if if I was writing the novel, it wouldn't have all that. It would be much more tilted toward good, right? But instead, it seems like it's tilted toward lots of bad things happening, you know, and and because of that, it could even be reported that, well, you know, those bad things just made it better. So, you know, bad is actually good. Hmm. And, and it just seems crazy, right? It seems crazy to me. It seems, cra- seems crazy to Paul. Hmm. But that's what, what people were saying about what they were doing. But then he <clears throat> continues on here. Um, let's see. He continues on, and he says, you know, uh, in verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? It's interesting, the NIV uses the same English word as the first, as, uh, as, um, as verse 1, is there any advantage? And at first he said, yes there is, and now he says, what shall we conclude, do we have any advantage? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, <clears throat> maybe your translation, some way others use a different word. But we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And when I read the power of sin, I like to, it doesn't use in my Bible, but I like to put a capital S there. It's the power of sin. Sin has this power that comes from when we sin, when we don't, when we fall short, we take the, the power of God and we sort of give it over to the power of sin. We make sin more powerful. <clears throat> sin, and I don't fully understand it, but sin in the Bible has this power about it, this draw, this Heal, this energy, this sort of, and you see it in, in, in the pagan, you know, people that are not following God, it seems like it gets really powerful, and it can really have a draw, and it tends to, like, overlap into my world. Like, you know, the, the silly thing, I, you know, the evil thing I thought about today is, you know how social media just starts throwing you stuff yeah. that is temptation? It's like, how does it know? Like, I guess the social media big data scientists can figure out my evil temptations, and they can now load, load them up on me. You know, I think Satan works through things, not social media. 
it's not all intentional, but he's pretty good at loading me up on temptations that are perfectly matched to where I struggle, where I'm challenged. So this idea that there's this power in sin. And then Paul goes on and he writes here in verses uh, 10 through 18. He goes through really a list of verses primarily from the Psalms. Some, I think one of them is from Isaiah. But this really is you know, a list of things. There's nobody righteous he starts off with. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever tried going out and just ask people, hey, are you seeking God? Are you seeking God? Are you seeking God? Like, if we went down, you know, to the U Mall or went down here, if it was a little warmer, or we went out in the lobby here and said, are you seeking God? Are you, what do you think? What do you think the uh, response would be? In a hundred people, how many would say, absolutely, I'm seeking God? What do you think? Maybe, What's your God? Maybe one. Five. Five, one. Definitely less than 25. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the majority are clearly in their own direction, not seeking God. But these scriptures here are talking about the, the Jewish people. <clears throat> so he highlights here, they're, they've turned away, they have become worthless, <clears throat> there's no one that does good, their, their throats are open graves, they practice deceit, <clears throat> their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, <clears throat> ruin and misery mark their ways, there's, they weigh a peace they don't know. <clears throat> He's really just built this whole case about how even in the midst of the Jewish leadership history, uh, he's just remarking what we've already said, that it's a bunch of bad stuff happening. It wasn't great, you know. And, and even as we, we talk about sin, and we'll jump into this here in a bit, you know, let's see where my, I lost my place for a second. So when he talks here in verse 19, as he carries on, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. <clears throat> Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. You know, verse 20 says, in, in the NIV, it says, therefore, no one. <clears throat> but the word here, in a more literal translation, is there's no flesh. <clears throat> sort of think of that as no humans, Jew or Gentile, uh, will... Um, be declared righteous. Because my mind goes, well, no one. Well, I mean, someone's will, right? Not, I mean, right. am I the only engineer in the audience? Like, if it says no one, me that treads well, someone is going to make it. Right. Maybe I'm not. Maybe that's, but it's very clear, nobody, no human being, no flesh is going to be justified, <clears throat> declared righteous by observing the Torah or observing the law of the Old, of the Old Testament. Of the Pentateuch. And what is the law for then? What's the purpose of it? Is there any value in it? He says that it helps us to become conscious of our sin. Uh, an analogy I like is that, you know, if you're going to go to Montreal, maybe once you get up on 89, you see a sign that says Montreal and it says a number. Um, from here it's, what, 95 miles. So somewhere up there it's 75 or 80. Montreal, 80 miles. And you go, okay. Hmm. Well, to get to Montreal, 80 miles, that takes, what, hour and a half, maybe? Oh, but then you got to cross the border. Okay, that could be a problem. Or it might be snowing. Or when you get to Montreal, there's always construction. So that will, if you have to go like, to the airport, it's going to be worse because you've got to get through that. Um, but the sign doesn't tell you any of that because that only happens when you try to go there. And so the law becomes a signpost for us. It, it reveals to us what sin is. <clears throat> 
doesn't talk about how to resolve it or get through it or work your way through it. That really becomes our journey. The law really was a signpost to reveal to us, to all of us, you know, what what was this big ass sin that was separating people from God. You know, I I, uh, I got uh, some props here from Brian. He gave me some arrows. I didn't realize that practice arrows had no fletching on them. Tell you how naive I am about about an arrow. But have you ever, you know, when I read the Bible, when I read this, you know, the word in the Greek is hamartia. Have you ever heard that before for sin? So it's an archery word. It means missing the mark. So that's what sin is. It's missing the mark. And so what I always think about is like, let's say that, you know, the H here, that was the mark. And so hitting the mark would be that. And so when I used to, you know, when I think about it in the past, maybe even recently, when I say, well, sin is missing the mark, I would think, okay, I'm here. Or I'm here. I'm close. You know, if I just work a little harder, I'll hit the mark. So what I'm doing is I'm not working hard enough. Or I'm not, oh, somebody would say, well, you know, Peter, you know, if you were good, you'd be here, but you're here, so you're bad. So you just got to try harder, pray harder, fast more, do something to get on the mark. Hmm. But you know what it says? And we'll read it here in a, in a minute, and a little bit later, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what is, when you shoot an arrow, like when I, one or two times I've shot with Ryan, he hits pretty close to the mark when it comes to physical archery. When I do, I fall short. <laughs> you know, or maybe I fall way, I don't want to kill anybody. <laughs> I fall way short. <laughs> so when you fall way, way short, what do you do? You know, <laughs> you need bigger muscles. You know, maybe you, you do like some people, you go to crossbow, right? You know, and <clears throat> because you can't pull it back enough. I don't know. But, you know, that's more the way I want us to think about sin. Sin is not just missing the mark. Sin is falling way short. And we all fall way short. Jews who were like Paul and tried to obey the law, they were way short. You know, Christians who tried to do it by their own effort, they fell short. Everybody falls short. That's really the definition of, of sin. And the power of sin is that we just fall way short of the mark. And so, to me, that gives me a different perspective when I think about sin, that it's different than I've thought about. It's, it's not that I'm not trying hard enough. <clears throat> it's that without God, there's no chance that I'll even come close. And because of that, I need God way more than I ever thought I needed him. You know, I, I really am in a hopeless position you know, it's, uh, I asked Larry, we, we tried, what was the song we tried to sing, Larry? We sang, hmm? O Lord, O Lord. O Lord, O Lord, which is actually a direct, you know, read of Psalm 8. And, you know, Larry reminded me that uh, we don't quite have the uh, depth of parts to sing, O Lord, O Lord. Which uh, I said, okay, get the boss. So we did, how majestic is your name, which is another phrasing of some of Psalm 8. But that's really, who has set his glory above the heavens. You know, and, you know, who are we that we can come up close to his glory? God's glory is so amazingly high, so way beyond us, so that as much as we try, as hard as we want to, we're going to fall short. You know, how did Isaiah say it? Isaiah said that all my righteous deeds are like filthy rags before you. So I, I always like to think of that as that on my very best day, I'm here, well, I'm back there. And on my very worst day, I'm still back there. 
because I still have fallen short of the glory of God. But what makes the difference? Let's keep on reading here in verse 21. <clears throat> but now apart from the law of righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So apart from the law, apart from the Torah, <clears throat> there's a righteousness, a uh, covenant justice relationship of God that's been made known to which all the law and the prophets, the Old Testament writers, they testify to this. <clears throat> this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, I don't know, my Bible has a footnote here in the NIV. It says, for through the faithfulness of Jesus. I don't know if yours has that. <clears throat> I would propose that that's probably the better meaning of this passage, that because of the faithfulness of Jesus, <clears throat> I have this righteousness through faith. What's that mean? What's the difference? <clears throat> well, it's, if, it's the, if it's my faith in Jesus, it's all about me. But if it's about the faithfulness of Jesus, it's all about him. <clears throat> so it's all about him because he is the one person, the one Hebrew under the Old Covenant who was faithful, <clears throat> who fulfilled God's promise, who made it all happen, that it all worked together uh, because of the faithfulness of Jesus. <clears throat> now just we'll peek ahead for a second. Verse 26, it says, He did this, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So this is talking about not in the future, <clears throat> but at that time. And so we can know at that time what God is doing, how he's working, how he's bringing it about. So let's just, I forget where I stopped, I'll start again and read it again. <clears throat> there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so to be so as to be just and the one who justified those who have faith in Jesus. Now it's as you think about it, just this whole idea, I know you may have heard the analogy of how do we make it, you know, swimming-wise? Have you heard the swimming analogy of swimming to England? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll let you on to this one. So imagine you're all sitting on the ocean down in New, in New England somewhere, not, not the lake, because you could swim across that. <clears throat> but imagine you all line up in Boston or New York, and you're going to swim to London. Okay, I don't know exactly how far that is. Anybody know? 1,000 miles, 2,000 miles? Long it takes five hours to fly there, so it's, it's got to be a long swim. Uh -huh. That's all I'm thinking. <laughs> and so you line up, and so you know we'll, we'll pick. We have a really great swimmer. We have a few of those here, you know, who are people with really great swimmers. How far can a really great swimmer swim? Three thousand five hundred miles. I don't think so. <laughs> this is thirty-eight hundred miles. Yeah. Thirty-eight hundred miles. Okay. So how far can a swimmer unaccompanied swim? I don't know. Twenty miles. Thirty miles. Hundred miles. We'll make something. Let's say if it's even 100 miles. And then there's, you know, average swimmers, you know, who could swim a half mile, maybe, you know, or maybe a mile, depending on the weather. And then there's the non-swimmers. You know, there's probably a few non-swimmers. You know, I know my wife is a bit of a non-swimmer. So let's say she makes it 100 feet, you know. I mean, enough people, enough people drown in Lake Champlain 100 feet out. And we know 100 feet is sort of a low bar. Okay, now if you, if you step back and you look at how far did they make it, um, to get to London, well, based on 3,800 miles, it almost looks like it doesn't really matter. It's all really the same. Right. 
And yet I can say, look, I'm a great swimmer. I can swim 100 miles. But when it comes to making it to the other side of the ocean, I'm just as bad a swimmer as my wife who says, I'm not going in because you know, 100 feet is too far, right? right. <clears throat> and so it's all the same when you step back and look at it from God's perspective. Right. And so what is there for us to be you know, proud about? Oh, I'm, I'm really strong in this scenario. I can make it 100 miles and not 3,800 miles. Oh, I struggle a bit with this. I can make it one mile, not 3,800 miles. Or this is really my my uh, Achilles heel. This is really hard for me. I can only really make it 100 feet, not 3,800 miles, right? <clears throat> so in all of them, we need the spiritual equivalent of the Coast Guard to show up and <coughs> walk us out of the water and help us make it to the other side because none of us are going to make it to the other side. None of us are going to make it uh, to the end of our lives to have an eternal relationship with God without the blood of Jesus right. taking away the power of the big ass sin <clears throat> taking it away <clears throat> from us so that it doesn't impact us you know and it's it's really not about obedience I mean I think I think each of those swimmers was swimming I mean that's the assumption you know 100 foot swimmer 100 yard swimmer 100 mile swimmer they're all swimming <clears throat> they're all trying they're all putting in the record. They're all being obedient. And, and Romans is really framed that way. It's framed about, you know, Romans 1, 5 or so. I think it talks about, about being obedient. Romans 16, 26 talks about being obedient to God. So this whole idea of, of having this faith that comes through the righteousness of Jesus, it's not about, oh, I don't have to do anything. I still have to swim. I still have to push ahead. But it's, it's not, I don't have faith in my swimming. I, don't, I just do it because that's what God wants me to do. You know, in, in, uh, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, let me say, Zach, about Christ's love compels us because of one day, you know, he died for us. I'm compelled to swim. I'm compelled to do whatever I can to magnify the glory of God, to please him, knowing that it really doesn't amount to me. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, if you're jotting it down, but it's interesting. So there's, you know, there, the way this, this discussion works, and it, it's going to continue on into uh, chapter 4, but the way it sort of all flows is that the covenant faithfulness of God, through this, he created a family of Jews and Gentiles um, because of Abraham, and he did it through the Messiah without the Torah as a sin-forgiven people. So God created a sin-forgiven people, independent of the law, because of the promise of Abraham, realized through the, the Messiah for both Jews and Gentiles, really for Jew, the Jewish nation and everybody else, all the other flesh, everybody. So really, it's the whole world. So when you read, I think it's in Psalm 4, it talks about all the nations will come in. All those things that Daniel also talks about, that they all come together because this is what was set up by God from the very beginning, you know, and, and you know, wait on a second, but have you ever heard somebody say, well, we had the Old Testament covenant, and it failed. People just couldn't live up to it, and so God had to cancel it out, and had to bring in Jesus to replace it because it was broken. You know, Old Covenant, New Covenant, it was, his plan failed. Anybody ever had that, heard that? Yeah. Anybody ever said that, shared it with somebody? Yeah, I think I might have. But that's not what happened. It was the plan was right all along. <clears throat> Jesus is the only one that can live it out. 
And so God knew that only Jesus, only through Jesus would this work out. So let's read on here. Let's finish up Romans 3. Where then is boasting? It's excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So where is boasting? Well, if you sort of hearken back to Romans 2, 17, it says, well, you think you're guides for the blind. You, you Jewish guys, you think you know, have it all known, and you're going to be a light to the world. Well, guess what? That's not there anymore. Because we're all saved by the same faith. There's no reason to boast. And in fact, it's likely that this word boasting here is, is boasting a good thing? Bragging, boasting. This word, this word is probably not quite as nasty as our word boasting. It probably means more they were celebrating in it. And not necessarily they were being arrogant. They just were celebrating that they, you know, they were being saved, that they were the saving force. And Paul is just saying here that it's now excluded. You know, the word for it is you know, whatever, expressed or whatever. So it's, it's excluded. There's no reason to brag. There's no need to brag. Because it's uh, it's been fulfilled, and it even talks about the law here. Some versions will say it's a principle instead of law, but really, I think Paul here is using that word to sort of make a play on the Torah. So he's saying, you know, by what law is this coming true? What does it say? You know, the law, oh, the law that requires works. It's probably the Torah. Oh no, it's because the law that requires faith. In my NIV, it says, quote, law, like air quotes. Actually, physical quotes here. But <clears throat> So it's this idea. It's not really a law that requires faith, but it is a law in itself. What did, what did Romans 2 at the end say? That if you follow this way of faith, it really accomplishes the same thing that the law did. <clears throat> but even so, in all of this, Paul's not saying that the, that the law, the Pentateuch, is irrelevant. Right? What does he say there? He says in verse 31, rather, no, not at all. We uphold the law. You know, um, the Torah created a people of God through whom, through whom the problem of Adam would be dealt with in Jesus. So that really was what the purpose of the law was. Um, we don't abolish the law, no, we establish it. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5? He said that I'm not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Sort of seems to fit in here. Faith that Jesus is the one person that could fulfill the law. That's why it came. So God, through faith, found a way to do what the law was intended to do all along. You know, the things that were the outward signs we mentioned, the circumcision, the food laws, the temple worship. You know, I think Galatians 3 hits a bit on that about why that's not necessary anymore. And I would encourage you to read Galatians 3. It's a great comment on Romans 3. Uh, it's very very interesting about what he's talking about here. But so we now have a righteousness that's been okay. Bring that 
So we have this renewed covenant that we're not boasting about. It's one that's justifying both Jews and Gentiles together, bringing it together in the present. And we're going to talk more about faith as we jump into uh, Romans 4, 5, and 6. And then we'll dig into some justification when we get to chapters 5 through 8. You know, it's, it's God who justifies who is going to condemn. But if you think about it, What's happened here in the presence is that uh, all the people who are who believe in the Messiah, who have been obedient to him, and what's that mean? Well, Romans 6, all of you have been baptized into Christ and been raised to a new life in him. It's become a recognizable family of God, both Jews and Gentiles, independent of their their ethnicity, their beliefs, their you know following of, of Jesus, they're different, and yet God is saying that they all come together. That what's happened with the Jewish is has been for the good. You know, if you're if you're jotting down Romans three thirty one, we just read, but Romans seven twelve, seven sixteen, seven twenty one, First Timothy one eight. Every single one of those says that the law is good. God did not make a mistake. Uh, and somehow need to replace the Old Testament with the New Testament. I, I heard a great saying, I think it was from Douglas Jacobi, that said the, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, and the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. So they really they fit together. They're really tied in. They're really tight together. So, um, wow. That's a quick synopsis of Romans 3. Um, to me, it's just exciting, you know, as I start to, to get my head around some things in a book like this, it just, you know, wow, every, every time I read that, I go, that's amazing, you know, that, you know, God had this big plan for the Jews. He entrusted, he entrusted to them. You ever entrusted something to someone? There you go. This is all I got. Can you, it was, he, he took a risk. He gave it to them and they brought it forward, not without sin. It was all this sin and verses 9 through 18 that went on in the midst of it, and that didn't mean God was supporting that sin, he just meant that God was faithful through that sin, and when we get to, you know, to figure out, well, how do we deal with sin, we just learn from the law that uh, we can't, uh, that when we throw our arrows, I guess they got picked up, but the arrows, uh, they, they fall short. As much as we try to get it on target, as much as we try and be sinless, sin-free, uh, if we think we're, we are without sin, John says, you know, we're crazy, right? Um, everybody's sin, and everybody has fallen way short. But the, there is a way out of it. And let's let's go and look at first. Let's look at Matthew five as we prepare for communion. Over here. Hopefully, you followed along a bit with me. Um, Matthew 5, 17 says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. <clears throat> Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, <clears throat> will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
and then reading in Romans 3, starting in verse uh, uh, 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. <clears throat> he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justified those who have faith in Jesus. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we know that uh, without you, uh, our lives really all fall short. Uh, we really are that arrow, maybe not uh, an inch off the mark, but hundreds of feet or hundreds of miles maybe. Well, we know without you, we, we really have no hope in this lost world. But because of you, because of the faithfulness of Jesus, it's exactly the opposite. God, that you've brought us in, you've given us the opportunity to have an eternal, current and future relationship with you. Not only do you forgive us our sins, but you help us in our lives to glorify your name, uh, to really put your name above all others, to really make a difference in this lost world, not because of what we do, but because of who you are. We pray as we uh, take communion right now that you really help us to connect back to our, our Savior, our Mediator, our brother Jesus, as he was the one that lived it out perfectly. He's the one that called us to follow him. Well, I pray that as we reflect on communion right now, we reflect on just how, how great you are, and how much you really want to reach down and make each one of us great because we have faith and belief and trust in you. Thank you so much for your love, for your patience, for your long-suffering, for your desire to really help us not only to find you, but to follow you all the days of our lives. We love you. Let's pray for this time to commune together. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.